There is a story that has uh, been told um, of a king um, who commanded all of his wise men, um, and he gathered them together, and he commanded his wise men to uh, condense all of human wisdom into a small, manageable area of print. After 12 years of, of trying to fulfill the king's assignment to try to, to, to do what the king has asked them to do, after 12 years of work, they returned to the king with 12 volumes. <laughs> king said, uh-uh, that's not going to do it. That's too large. Condense it further, he said. So they spent another year and uh, another year working on that project, on that assignment, and these wise men, then they came back to the king once more, and this time they came back to the king with a single volume. The king said, nope, it's still too large. Condense it even further. The next day, the wise men came back with only one line on a piece of paper. The one line said, there is no free lunch. <laughs> Uh, you know, as I thought about that story, I thought, you know, that's the Apostle Paul's message in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. <laughs> in other words, condense that down. There is no free lunch. Um... I invite you to turn with me this morning to 2 Thessalonians. You can find, uh, you know, grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you or look on your phone. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning, because we're going to look at a passage here where this verse comes out of. We are in, if you haven't been with us, we're in a four-week uh, of our five-week series uh, titled God at Work. Um, next week, we conclude this series. Um, and, and throughout this series, we are simply asking the, the simple question, what does the Bible have to say about our work? What's the Bible have to say about our vocations? What does God intend for our jobs? Um, how do you connect your Sunday faith, you know, uh, to uh, your Monday work world? So I want to look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor. We, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. You read that passage, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Paul says, hey, we're to work. I mean, he commands it here. Do you see that? Notice how he starts this section, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then down in verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work. In fact, back up in verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Three times he says, hey, this is the command. In fact, two of the times he uh, invokes the name of Jesus Christ in the Lord in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Work. Underscoring, of course, that this command that Paul is giving them has its origin and authority in the person of Jesus Christ. See, as disciples of Christ, Paul says, listen, we're to work. Why does, he, why does Paul command these believers here, this, this church in Thessalonica, why does he command them to, to work? Um, well, if you go back in the history um, of what was happening in this church, evidently um, there were some in this church that had stopped working. See, there were some false teachers that had come along, and they had, they had made their way into this church, and they had claimed that uh, Christ's second coming was just around the corner, that it would arrive soon. And, and so there are those who said, well, that means then I, can, uh, I don't have to work. <laughs> You know, if Jesus is coming tomorrow, then I don't have to work today. I'll just put my feet up, you know, and rest and take it easy. I, you, you've heard the phrase, right? She or he is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good, right? Well, that's evidently what was happening to some of these, these Christians here in this city of Thessalonica. It, they were buying into them. But it went beyond the fact that they were just being lazy. In fact, they were slackers or idle. No, uh, they were, in fact, Paul says, you're becoming busybodies in your idleness. Look with me at verse 11. Look what he says here. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. The word that's translated there, um, idleness, literally means disorderly. In other words, these people were, they were living out of order. Um, in their laziness, in their idleness, they were continually breaking with their confessed commitment to God and, and, and to the church. And the end result was that instead of being productive, instead of being, being helpful contributors to the church and, and to the community, they had become just busybodies. See, a busybody is someone who gets tangled up in other people's affairs. These people, they are busy with the wrong activities. Um, busybodies, they interfere with, with healthy community life. Um, they, they take rather than, than, than give. Um, there, there's a, they're a drain on the community, on the church. These lazy bones were not contributing to the church. Instead, they were cluttering up the church. Now listen, I want to be clear here. Um, because Paul is giving this command to people who were not willing to work. He was not giving this command to those who were unable to work. It's a big difference. I mean, those... Uh, we know people that are not able to work. They cannot work for whatever reason. Sometimes the reason is because disability, physical disabilities, or, or, or child care requirements. But listen, if you are able to work, Paul says, you are to work. 
We're to follow Paul's example, in fact. Paul gives us his example. Paul, see, was, a, was not only a church planner, but he was a tent maker. Literally, he made tents so he could make a living. And then in his spare time, he would plant churches. And he wasn't dependent upon others. He didn't take the bread off of, the, off of their table. Although he could have been dependent upon them. He had the right to do so, he says. He didn't want to take advantage of their hospitality. He didn't want to expect, you know, too much. Uh, he, he wanted instead to be a model to show the, the, these church folks what it means to be a Christian and to be involved in ministry and to work. So here's the question. Why are we to work? I mean, <laughs> what's the big bonus? What's the big plus? Well, Paul would tell us in verse 13, when we work, we are doing good. Look with me. Verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. He wraps up this whole section with that one verse. Do not grow weary in doing good. What's interesting here is that Paul is um, using the same four Greek words he used in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, where he says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Then in the very next verse in that Galatians chapter 6, in verse 10, Paul says, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. See, doing good, caring for brothers and sisters in Christ, and that was important to Apostle Paul. But so is seeking good for everyone. In fact, in Paul's first letter to this church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he he writes, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In other words, as a disciple of Christ, doing good is to be a summary of our lifestyle, wherever we are. Whatever we are doing at work, Um, or at home, or at school, we're to do good. And when we work, we are doing good, Paul says. When you work, you're doing good. See, one of the main purposes of our, our work is that in and through our vocations, through our work, common good is being promoted. One of the most shocking statements in the Old Testament, I would suggest, it comes from the prophet Jeremiah. If you remember a little bit of Jeremiah's story, Jerusalem has um, been sacked and, and burned and, and had been conquered by the Babylonians. And many of the Israelites, the, the elites, you know, the wealthy, the, the educated, many of the Israelites, they, they'd been carried off in exile to Babylon. So now here they were, God's people living in the capital city of their enemy. Uh, they had been beaten and they had been brutalized and, and displaced. And the last thing that they wanted, I am sure, was to put down roots and promote the common good uh, of their captors and of that city of Babylon. That'd be their nightmare. Yet that was precisely what God has called them to do. Here was God's word spoken to them through Jeremiah. He said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Isn't that amazing? Even in a foreign and pagan city, God's covenant people, they were to go about their normal lives of of working hard and raising families. And they were exhorted to pray for Babylon and to seek the common good for everyone. In that statement, Jeremiah uses the Hebrew word shalom um, three times. Shalom it conveys not only the end of hostilities, but also the flourishing of, of all of God's creation. Shalom is God's desire for you and for your family and for this church. Shalom is God's desire for the people you work with and for the place that you go to to work. Shalom is is God's desire, believe it or not, even for this city of Minneapolis that we live in, that we worship in, that we are part of. Theologian Miroslav Volf summarizes the Bible's important emphasis on the common good when he said, in the Bible and in the first centuries of Christian tradition, meeting one's need and the needs of one's community, especially its underprivileged members, was clearly the most important purpose of work. See, I got to tell you, though you might not always feel it or, 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 or see it directly, as you do your work as an act of worship for the glory of God, for an audience of one, you can be confident that you are contributing to the important work that our Heavenly Father is doing in the world. Now, when you work, not only are you contributing to the common good, but I got to tell you, you're also earning your own way. <laughs> I mean, look, look again what Paul says here in verse 12. He says, now such persons we command and encourage the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to what? Earn their own living. Um, that phrase at the end there, to earn their own living, um, um, can be literally translated to earn their own uh, or to eat their own bread, um, which is an interesting little uh, uh, translation. I think what Paul was trying to communicate there, he's trying to con- connect um, what he was saying to what God said in the very beginning, back in Genesis 1 and 2. He was trying to connect his command to the work um, of the divine uh, order of creation. You remember, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, we saw that God was a worker, right? And since God is a creator, a, a worker, part of what it means to bear his image for us is that we are created to be workers. Work is part of what we do. It's, um, it's in our bones. It's part of our DNA. Um, it's central to our humanity. But then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, we saw that because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve... See, our work has become difficult, it's become distorted, it's become painful. 
Now catch this. In Genesis chapter 3.19, God says, By the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread. Eat your bread. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's a similar words. It's the same words that Paul uses here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Eat your bread. See, the point that Paul is trying to make, I think, is that even after the fall, the created order of this world requires that all people work in order to feed and support their families and sort of support themselves. It's the way that God designed it. It's the way that God has set it up from the, from the very beginning. We are to earn our own living, our own way. And in that way, work, I mean, when you think about it, work is truly a blessing, isn't it? I mean, one way that God supplies our needs, right, is by giving us jobs, by giving us uh, work. Yes, your work may be a challenge. It may be difficult and distorted and painful, but through it, you know what? You are supporting yourself. You're putting food on your table. You are earning a living, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. When we work, we are contributing to the common good. We are supporting ourselves, and we are also being a good witness for Christ. Back in his first letter to this church, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12, Paul instructs him to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. See, when we go to work with a, a sense of expectation that we are honoring God in our work, um, our work becomes an apologetic for the gospel. It's a little bit about what Carrie talked about in his, in his story. I mean, it, that's why Paul challenges these, these, these believers in Thessalonica to imitate him because his example uh, of, of how he did his work, that was an apologetic. In Thessalonica, see, there were unbelievers, non-Christians, unchurched, that, um, that worked. <laughs> I mean, they, they would get up in the morning and, and, and they would head off to the fields or they would head off to uh, um, you know, their, their offices or, or to their shops and, and they would work in order to support themselves. But then when they looked around and they would see these, these church-attending Christian neighbors who refused to work, who were idle, who looked to them like they were lazy, all they could do is see these idle, ethically uh, deficient people. And the failure to work, these Christians, their failure to work, was, it became a bad witness to the unbelieving world around them and an obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, my guess is, and we're all probably familiar with the harm a negative reputation can have in the workplace, right? I mean, I've heard it said, and last thing you want to do is put a, a, a fish, you know, the, the Christian symbol on, on your... Um, you know, your, your card, because, man, that just says, uh, they're not really going to do quality work. I mean, when I hear about the shabbiness and shadiness of Christians in business, my reaction is I cringe. I'm embarrassed. 
I don't want, I want to separate myself from them. They're a part of the family. <laughs> See, sadly, many Christians fail to understand the importance of doing good, honest work and how closely unbelievers are watching us. I once read a story about the legendary Alexander the Great who happened upon one of his soldiers who was, to put it charitably, a pitiful sight. The soldier was dressed, you know, sloppily, seemed quite disheveled, and clearly reeked of a, um, a long night of drinking and, and debauchery. When asked by his great military commander what his name was, the soldier said, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great glared back at that soldier and said, Soldier, either change your name or change your behavior. <laughs> See, I fear that many of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ do not live up to that name at work. We fail to imitate Paul. <laughs> we fail to follow Jesus. See, throughout Scripture, you know, Old Testament specifically, I mean, you read about people who were used by God um, to have a significant impact for him in their workplaces. Ever thought about that? I mean, think about it. There was Joseph. There was Daniel. Nehemiah. Esther. Ruth. Their workplaces, I got to they were less than ideal. Their workplaces were not places they, they enjoyed going to necessarily. Yet God used them in those places to make an amazing difference, impact for him. Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, wrote this about how God used his place of work to help him grow spiritually and to be a witness. He said this, the place of discipleship is wherever I am now. It's whatever I am now and whatever I am doing now. When I go to work at USC and I walk into that class, that's my place of discipleship. That's a place where I am learning from Jesus how to do everything in the kingdom of God. That's why it's important for me to understand that Jesus is, in fact, the smartest man in my field. He's the smartest man in your field. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you are running a bank or a mercantile company or a, a manufacturing plant or a government office or whatever it is, he is the smartest man on the job. <laughs> Can I ask you, where, where's God placed you to be his witness? Is, is your workplace a place of, of discipleship, a, a, a place where... Um, you're, you're a living witness to him? Are you learning from brilliant Jesus not only how to live, but also how to do your work? Listen, if you begin to see your workplace as that primary place of discipleship, uh, of, of, of being a witness for him, you know what? It'll be life-changing. It'll be life-changing. You'll do good work. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, listen, we don't simply work, we don't work to simply live. 
We live to do good and serve God through our work. You know, it's nice when your bosses notice your work. It's even better when the CEO of your company notices. It's even better still when your CEO raves about your work to the President of the United States. Carol Shirley garnered that kind of attention. Shirley, 26, started working for Manpower, Inc., a temporary services firm that is the nation's largest private sector employer. She started working there in September of 1995. Originally hired as a service representative assistant, she became an ardent advocate for welfare recipients who wanted to work. The Milwaukee Central Office is less than ritzy, in a less than ritzy area on the outskirts of the downtown business district. The office had been looking to hire university students, but surely took a chance on the area's down and outers. As she interacted with men and women, young and old, she saw people struggling to survive. And that's when something began to stir within this daughter of affluent Milwaukee parents. She says, I got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I want to do something no matter what the consequences. Along with manpower's effective training techniques, surely added a personal touch. She spent serious time with, with each student, uh, with each client, helping them develop soft skills, uh, the etiquette that's needed to have in, in, in a business world. She wrote resumes, and she, in fact, lent needy clients money from her own pocket. Activities that run counter to Manpower's official policies. She even invited some of them to her church, Christian Faith Fellowship. Carol Shirley's compassion paid off, literally. People started coming in the droves in her offices. Net profits rose by 300% in one year. She recruited 80 clients from her own congregation alone, where she is referred to as Sister Carol. Many of Shirley's recruits found full-time employment, and became self-sufficient. She worked hard, sometimes late into the night, with no overtime pay. And late at night, what Shirley would do was she'd walk around her office and pray for her clients. In fact, she prayed all the time, asking God for wisdom. Romans 8.28, Shirley's favorite verse, was a constant reminder that all things work together for good for them that love God. Her computer screensavers customized with Blended biblical phrases like, I am more than a conqueror. All things are possible through Christ. Also helped her focus on God's strength. One of those she helped was a man by the name of James. James moved to Milwaukee to live with his brother. But his brother's new girlfriend felt, well, three was a crowd. And so James was kicked out of that apartment. And he ended up going to a shelter. Eventually, he ended up on the street sleeping on a vent near Shirley's office. When Shirley learned about James, she quickly found him a job at a food processing firm. A few days later, on her desk, Shirley found a paper bag with a note. The bag contained raisins and candy bars. Note read, I didn't have any money to buy you a card. I didn't have any money for flowers, but I gave you what I have. I just wanted to thank you. Shirley says... For her, that was three years' worth of salary in two seconds. <laughs> Friends, can I remind you once again, your work matters a great deal to God and to others and to our world. The work that God has called you to do is extraordinary. 
Don't miss out on God's best by just taking an ordinary approach to it. Listen, we don't work to simply live. We live to do good and to serve God through our work. As Dorothy Sayers once said, the only Christian work is good work. Well done. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your work, your creation. We thank you that you have made us in your image to be workers. We thank you for the gift of our jobs and our work and our vocations. Lord, might we continue to work in a way that pleases you. Might we do work, our work, in an excellent fashion that is a witness for your glory. God, we just want to walk with you and live for you and work for you and all we do. In your son's precious name, we pray these things. Amen.